I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast that reveals the secrets hidden in our modern world. For example, witches are real. That's the main one. 800 years ago, a witch hunter named Danny Moran defeated the Witch Queen. But as she died, she cursed him with immortality, which is bad, although it has an obvious upside. Now in the present day, she's back, and Danny will need a whole lot of runes, scrolls, and muscles to take her down. Is what I would be saying if this was a podaptation of the 2015 movie The Last Witch Hunter, starring Vin Diesel and Michael Caine. Instead, it's just a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me... A strapping hero who has been eating 50 chickens a day for the best part of the last millennium, Danny Moran. Hello, hello. On this week's episode, Sam reviews the latest high-octane entry into the Fast and Furious franchise, The Fate of the Furious. I'll be asking him what the action scenes were like on a scale of impossible to in frickin' sanity. Ask him how big the muscles were on a scale of natural to uncanny valley. And ask him whether the bums were nice bums. Were the, were the bums nice? I can confirm ahead of my review that there's very nice bums. Great. Then we review bona fide classic One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which has recently been re-released in cinemas. It doesn't have the same number of bum shots as the Fast and Furious series, but it's just as, and some might argue slightly more, emotionally powerful. <laughs> Plus, we dissect the tread of a Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi in forensic detail, and we dance magic dance for joy at the news there'll be another Labyrinth movie. All of which should leave me just enough time before my latest impression, Buster Keaton, watching all of Diane Keaton's films in a row while listening to the greatest hits of Ronan Keaton. You always think of baseball players when you're making love? Keeps me going. Oh. Oh, Michael. Michael, you are blind. Oh, God, what a, what a dumb thing to say, right? I mean, you say it, you play well, and then right away, I have to say you play well. Wait a minute, I don't understand. You are my therapist. I'm a woman. He is my husband. Wow. Wow, it's perfect. It's just like the real guy. What the faces Danny is pulling matches the description he gave. Identically. Extraordinary performance. If only this was being captured on webcam, like Kermode's show. Why, where's the live stream when you need one? Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Boone films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films short. Sounds low.
some, we've got films up to your gills with films, 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 movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. So last week, 113, 114 episodes into the podcast and surprisingly the very first appearance of Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen, who is a cultural icon and someone who's very important in both Danny and I's, my lives, <laughs> very important to us, taught us a lot about dressing uh, yourself and your house and decor and all that kind of thing. And we were talking about whether he's left wing or right wing figure. I naturally imagine that he was a bit of a Tory and Danny thought perhaps he was left wing. Yeah. And so we took to the internet to find this question out, and Danny tweeted Lawrence directly. Yeah. He's you can on, do that now. It's fun. That's, exactly. That's the great thing about Twitter. Yeah, you can talk to anyone. So I tweeted at Llewellyn Bowen, Lawrence, me and a friend of mine were debating whether politically you lean left or right. Can you clarify for us? To which he replied, genuinely, dot, 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 my tailor is the only one who knows to which side I dress. So, so Tory, do you reckon? It's <laughs> very close to his a chest response there. like that. Well, do you think? I mean, yeah, it doesn't. It's not a sort of man of the people type response. It's a bit poncy. It's a bit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The reply of a ponce. Yeah, I guess you know when he's going to the uh, interior decor home emporiums and conferences and stuff, um, and giving people advice. He doesn't want it to be them to be affected by thinking about his political leanings. You know, he just wants to keep his work and his politics separate, and I can respect that. But uh, he, be- he he came to prominence, think about this, on Changing Rooms. Yeah. And that was a show based on the idea that with just a few good creative ideas and a little bit of money, you can transform any room. So even though his day job might be, you know, playing to the bourgeois masses, that was a, you know, a show for the proletariat. Well, because you can, you don't need a lot of money. It's not like Grand Designs or something. Exactly. It's a show for the elite. Yeah, Changing Rooms was a show for the, the common man. A show for the common man, because it's like, oh, you just need to, a couple of lampshade hangings, uh, different, you know, yeah. switch your, your the, the cushion brand that you've been using to a different one. Different cushion brand, that's your sort of... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But weren't they, like, always quite sort of kind of exciting? You know, it wasn't like some sort of feng shui type, uh, just put the sofa over here, it was like... Yeah, you know, just quite radically different look. I've turned the floor into an ice rink. Uh, don't question them, a genius. It was, was it like Pimp My Ride, but for rooms? Yeah, Pimp My Room. Pimp My Room, basically. Presented by Tim Westwood, Carol Smiley. They're kind of the same person. Yeah, really, they're very they? similar. They're very, very similar. Anyway, this is a film <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let it never be said that you and I can't just have a very culturally literate conversation about many other topics. It's there's, true. There's no, no, there needs to be nothing stilted or awkward or uninformative about us holding forth on uh, other subjects such as home decoration and you know tv stars from the 90s of course we didn't get any other correspondence apart from james andrews who just sent me a gif of cruel fainting from the uh harry potter and the philosopher's stone movie the bit where Quirrell, played by Ian Hart, faints in a reference to me fainting in raw pretty, oh, I see. pretty pretty cruel gif he sent me very cruel Thought you ought to know. 
Not very. Thanks, James. Been insensitive. Been insensitive. Yeah. But uh, the moment I saw that, I fainted again. Did <laughs> well. I was going to ask if he uh, provided a content warning with that. No, you got to give me some trigger warnings, you guys. Give a trigger I'm a delicate warning. little flower, especially now. I'm actually wondering because there was definitely a point where I didn't cry that much in films, and I feel like a few years ago, just a sort of Something. valve switched, and mm. now I just kind of cry. I kind of look forward to it, really. I, think I enjoy I, it. I actually, I actually think that's kind of true of me as well. I mean, I mean, I've I've been crying in you know movies for for a good decade, I would say. <laughs> but like, I think like growing up when I was a kid, I didn't really. Maybe I was wasn't. I just didn't give a shit. I wasn't really. <laughs> wasn't really invested. Wasn't really invested. I just didn't care. Now I'm watching them properly. I wonder what it's going to be like. Like. Uh, watching movies after I've had a chart or something like that. Oh, something. God. It's going to be a nightmare. I don't think I'll be able to watch anything without just constantly bursting into tears. Once you be a kid, your whole brain's rewired to just feel more it's empathy, just makes right? You a total fucking loser, basically. Total weeping at everything. Pussy cuck snowflake. Total, total pussy. Yeah. Ugh. I think it's the general, you know, it's both that kind of biological thing and also you just get a bit older and you just get a bit more, like, sensitive to the weight of the world. Sure. You, you relate to things. When I was a kid, I didn't really relate to anything because I hadn't had any of those experiences. That's true. And now, you know, I've been I've been there myself. Yeah. And when I watch these touching films, I can imagine myself in that position as an adult. Yeah. And it's a way of kind of proving my own humanity. I know that I seem out of touch, swanning about on my cloud of privilege. But do you see the bucket of tears I just cried in that film? So you, oh. it was signal crying. Signal crying. Virtue, <laughs> virtue signal. Virtue signal crying. Yeah, I stand up in the cinema. And I turn around to face everyone else, and I just have the front of my... I'm crying! And I wear, like, a white shirt, and it's just absolutely soaked, and you can see my nipples through it. And I'm just covered in tears, and everyone knows. They're like, this guy, he gets it. <laughs> he's he's the little, most normal one here. <laughs> got a little sexy there in the middle, this uh, fantasy scenario. Yeah, I did get a little sexy. I also did because I think it looks hot. It's like Darcy coming out of the lake in Pride and Prejudice in the well, 90s. Yeah, if you don't have a lake to hand or a rainstorm like at the end of um, Four Weddings, you just cry one out. Yeah. <laughs> Cover yourself in water. You just got to make your own sexy water Yeah, sometimes. men look better wet. I've often said men this. Men look a lot better wet. I, like, a lot of the time I try, when I go on a date, I like to make sure I've just got out of the shower and I'm still wet. <laughs> so I try to try to get a bit of that yeah, bit of that moisture on the on the face and uh, hair and clothes. This is a good tip. Yeah, so that's this little. See, it's we, you know, not just home decoration, but also dating tips, sexy dating tips for you. Absolutely. Um, what are we talking about? Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tips. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. One of the most beloved children's movies of recent times, I say recent times, 31 years ago, is Labyrinth. It feels like that's a movie which has uh, stood the test of time and is maybe a bit more poignant now that Bowie's left us. Yeah. Obviously he played Jagriff, the Goblin King. And in the 1986 original, Jennifer Connelly was, had to babysit her baby brother and she was like, I don't want to do this. I wish someone would just take him away. But then her prayer was answered and Jagriff, the Goblin King, took him away prompting her to go in a sort of magical Alice in Wonderland slash Wizard of Oz slash every fairy tale yeah. ever journey with it's Jim like, Henson. It's like Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, but exactly. Like fun. But fun. And with some one of some of Bowie's best songs. Mm. Don't quote me on that. Um, and <laughs> 31 years later... <laughs> Not for the poster, that one. That's for your ears only. <laughs> 31 years later, they're going to make a sort of sequel 
and it's going to be directed by Fede Alvarez, who is the director of the Evil Dead remake, last year's horror smash, Don't Breathe, and he's helming the upcoming Girl the Spiderweb, which is weirdly the fourth book in the trilogy not written by Stig Larsson. Yeah. He's going to have a whole new cast. On the matter, Alvarez said the following. Labyrinth is one of the seminal movies from my childhood that made me fall in love with filmmaking. I couldn't be more thrilled to expand on Jim Henson's mesmerizing universe and take a new generation of moviegoers back into the labyrinth. And uh, yeah, so no real story details or anything other than it's just going to be another labyrinth movie, which going to pretty... be one of these weird modern spin-off sequel reboots, isn't it? Well, I was going to say, the movie itself, the original movie, is so sort of vague and open-ended to begin with that you could easily make a sequel which bears no little relation. They just go to a place with magical stuff and puppets. Yeah. That's pretty much all that, of it. Like, I think I that would be my guess, is that it's going to be a kind of, you know, return to the world of Labyrinth, but it's going to be another kidnapped child and a young person who's looking for them and, you know, puppets and dancing and music. Yeah. Like, so that's sort of quasi-remake uh, that they like to do now. I guess, though, because it's puppets, they can have the same characters, even if the original puppeteers and voices are no longer with us. They can have, uh, what's his name, Sir Didius and Ambrosia, the posh fox who rides a horse. Not a horse, a dog. He rides yeah. a dog. That's, that's why it's funny. If he rode a horse, actually, that would also be funny. That would also be funny. I guess the big question, though, this Labyrinth reboot sequel thing is... Who's going to be the Bowie character, assuming they have one? Big shoes to fill. St. Vincent? <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Or Jermaine Clement. Or both. Jermaine Clement. Or, I mean, um, both, like, alternately. In, uh, each yeah. scene they swap out. Or the rapper Labyrinth. Yes, the rapper Labyrinth. Would and be the, an and there could be a show. bit where he causes an earthquake and plays earthquake and, like, you know, the whole labyrinth starts splitting apart and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hold up, well, he's okay. a musician. That's true. So <laughs> Note to self: a brilliant labyrinth earthquake idea. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if they do go down the route of getting another musician. Yeah. Actually, they could. I mean, getting Jermaine Clement would even solve that problem. I wonder if they will pick him. Yeah, just get Jermaine to do it. Just get Jermaine to do it. Also, though, I would love. Wait, wait, wait. Same also, this is a great idea because Brits obviously did the Muppets movie, so he's got a relationship with the. He Jim, loves Hen- doing, he Jim loves Henson doing songs for puppets. Yeah, yeah. The Henson company and the Fly of the Conkers are already acquainted. Yeah, that's a really good point. Oh like, my god! Come on, we crack this wide open. We basically know how the film is going to be. Oh my god, this is brilliant. We've got it completely set, like uh, planned out already. Yeah. So don't, I don't, don't bother going to see it. Don't bother trying to listen to us review it because essentially the film has been made and essentially we have seen it. What did you think? Three stars. Yeah, it was alright. Speaking of earthquakes, Danny, there was a cinematic trailer earthquake that hit the other day. Everyone was absolutely transfixed. But huge news. News trailer for the next Star Wars film has appeared. Whoa. It's called The Last Jedi. We've known that for a while. Everyone threw like a global shit fit when that uh, new name was announced because people love names. I mean, on in the sort of scale of Star Wars titles, it lands on that kind of more important sort of resonant sounding thing rather than mildly silly what the fuck does that mean kind of, uh, <laughs> like attack the clone style so strong title everyone was excited for the teaser they dropped it during the middle of their star wars celebration 
and there are people who probably queued for like three days straight in order to be able to watch it in a hall while it was like simultaneously being live streamed to YouTube, so anyone anyone could watch it as well. I watched it. I'm not super invested in the Star Wars universe, so I didn't have the geek gasm that many many might have. I think I found it slightly disappointing, maybe, in that it felt like it was very consciously trying to ape the teaser for The Force Awakens, which seemed a bit strange. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Our friend Dan uh, made this remark, which is very true, which is like, it just feels like all the shots they'd finished, in that it's unlike any other trailer because everybody is going to go see this film already. Yeah. So it doesn't have to sell you anything. It's just going to be a bit evocative. Yeah. I mean, there's literally a shot of a book for like five seconds. That people are yeah, like, oh, like my really, God. Really oh, my music. God, the yeah. book. What does the book mean? And no other franchise could do that. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was very much like the Force Awakens and suddenly somebody comes into frame. Well, and someone then... cut together a sort of side-by-side comparison, which was a bit... Um like had been fiddled with a little bit because it, there wasn't a real like force awakens trailer it was just kind of sort of the trailer but sort of just other similar yeah, shots yeah. but still it was hard to deny that there's like a lot of it's like the exact same kinds of shots and also in a deliberate way like they're consciously trying to remind you and that seems really really weird like that's just a weird decision i think to me and a slightly worrying one in that like have we already reached the point where we're so nostalgic for the force awakens <laughs> a film that came out like 18 months ago that we're trying to recapture the magic yeah yeah of a film which was itself trying to recapture the magic of another film it's true it's like what the fuck it's just move forwards please culture's eating itself some sort of it's yeah it's getting too yeah it's just uh folding in on itself to a to a a terrifying and sort of unnerving degree but i don't know i just i felt kind of neutral about it some of the shots were quite cool in it the salt planes, the things racing across the salt planes was yeah, cool. Yeah, that sort of uh, looked a bit Mad Maxy with a kind of coloured smoke billowing. Yeah. I'm always just like a fan of just uh, Star Wars and new environments. It's almost be hard now to tick, they've ticked them off. Like, we've done ice, we've done deserts, we've done forests. Where yeah. have we been? Salt planes. Okay, let's set some but stuff now. Yeah, I, and I, I I'm sort of excited by the prospect of like old man Mark Hamill. Oh, yeah. Because... I think he's an underrated actor. I think he's actually really good in those original movies, especially in the third one when he sort of turns up and he's all a bit haunted and wearing black. You're like, what's happened to Luke? He's all kind of, what's Ooh. happened? And one of the things I found a bit disappointing about Force Awakens is the way they sort of reset Han Solo. So he's just sort of Han Solo in a new hope, literally like dressed the same. And like his cool art from the movie was kind of erased or like, you know, they kind of backpedaled on it. I he's- love smuggling again. <laughs> yeah. I, um, back as a, I love smuggling. I still love it. I'm still that parsec run. I'm still pretty, uh, still pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas if the implication is that Luke has the characters moved on a bit and Mark Hamill have some good material to chew with. I like old man disillusioned Luke Skywalker is quite a cool prospect. Yeah, definitely. He's not um, jabbering about getting the uh, power converters. Yeah. You know, he's sort of grumbling about like important old man stuff. Yeah. And, it, and it's just cool in the way, you know, there's a spate of these franchises that run on too long and people return to years later. But it does have a certain something you can't fake about that guy was, you know, young forty years ago and now he's become Obi Wan. Yeah. That's kinda it is kinda it's cool. kinda unique in yeah, yeah, cinema. Yeah. Like it's forty years later he's he's like, Oh my god, the nineteen year old is now the old wise man. It's Yeah. It's it's different enough to be interesting that um by the way, I apologize if you can hear a plane. We're recording under a flight path today on on an airstrip. So there may be some noise interference. Yeah, that could be a problem. But uh, 
the, I think it's it's different in that because it has so much cultural cachet, they can purely advertise it on the basis of you will get to experience the next Star Wars film and they don't need to do anything else. And so the whole atmosphere of the way that the movie is sold is is kind of different. That it doesn't try to tell you that the movie is really exciting. It simply is like teasing you the fact that this movie exists. It exists. It's very, I mean, the whole thing is very, very J.J. Abrams, to be honest. They're making a film. I wonder if that's part of why he was such a good fit for the franchise is because his whole thing is offering you this sort of glimmer of a great experience you're going to have without telling you anything about it. And that's like a great fit for an established franchise that doesn't need to do anything except sort of you yeah, know, yeah. tease you about its own existence. That's true. But I'm hopeful. Ryan Johnson, I think, is the coolest. It's kind of weird because when they announced that Disney had bought Star Wars, you're like, oh, they're going to have their pick of like any director in the world is going to want to do it. But it feels like they haven't really got a crop of A-list directors, I would say. Oh, yeah. The directors have hired. I, Ryan Johnson's by far the best out of the list, I would say, easily, based on his previous films. Yeah, absolutely. Just, I mean, he's a, he's a very exciting... He's like, of all of them, he's the director who you think it'd be so exciting to see him on a bigger canvas. Yeah, and exactly. And it's just like, even if you remove Star Wars from the equation, it's like, whose next film would you rather see? J.J. Abrams, Colin Trevorrow's, or Ryan Johnson's? Oh, it would be it'd be Ryan Johnson's. Absolutely, so, yeah. high hopes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're going to hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. Let's join review. Share between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on. The guys are in. So let the chat begin. Stop talking now. So, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, generally considered to be one of the best ones ever made. But is it really? Is it? Is uh, it? Is it? It's been released by the BFI because it's the 42nd anniversary of it being released. I don't know why. Maybe they just they just found the print somewhere in the uh, basement and like, we should spruce this up and re-release it. If you've not seen it, it's directed by Milos Forman and written by Lawrence Hoban and Bo Gorman based on the book by Ken Kesey. And it's set in the early 60s where Jack Nicholson plays Randall P. McMurphy, who is an inmate at a work farm prison where he's serving time for statutory rape and he's taken to a local mental hospital to be psychologically evaluated because people think he's crazy and there's a general suspicion that he's just faking it to get out of this uh, work farm and he's put in a ward with people with more overt mental health issues run by one of cinema's greatest villains Nurse Ratchet, played by Louise Fletcher and McMurphy's personality and behaviour cause turmoil on the ward much to Nurse Ratchet's chagrin, but actually to the benefit of the other patients. Now they're telling me I'm crazy over here because I don't sit there like a goddamn vegetable. Don't make a bit of sense to me. If that's what being crazy is, then I'm senseless, out of it, gone down the road, wacko. But no more, no less. That's it. Well, to be honest with you, McMurphy, what it says here is that they think, they think 
you've been faking it in order to get out of your work detail. Oh, what do you like, think about that? Do I look like that kind of guy to you, Doc? Well, let's just be frank for a minute, All right. uh, Randall, if you would. Tell me, do you think there's anything wrong with your mind, really? Not a thing, Doc. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science. Uh, so this movie is generally be considered to be amazing, and I watched it many years ago, and I rewatched it again yesterday, and I was like, uh, yeah, it is like one of the best films ever. Everything about it is great. It was kind of fun to watch. It's like The Godfather or something, where every scene is like, oh, it's this scene. Right, yeah, yeah. Because they're all so amazing. Yeah, this is definitely, a f it's a bit like when you review Taxi Driver, to be honest, because I think I actually probably saw them around the same time when I was like a teenager, and it was just one of the classics that cropped up, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, but I don't you know have a, a super great memory you know so i'm going to be relying on <laughs> saying the smart stuff about it but i remember finding it a very emotional movie and yeah you know, we were talking earlier about how we cry more in movies now than we used to and i think that's probably one of the first movies that i saw that really got to me yeah yeah absolutely. the end's got a very powerful ending and i didn't know how it ended so it was really unexpected to me and also like not just emotional and you know the sense of making you sad but the extent to which i hated <laughs> ratchet was I think it felt like a more powerful desire for the villain to be defeated than in like any other film, you know? Yeah. I just really wanted uh, her to lose. <laughs> yeah, I, when I was writing notes for this, I discovered I had this really interesting production history where when the book came out, Kirk Douglas read it and instantly optioned it and then turned it into a Broadway play, which was hugely acclaimed. And then for whatever reason, couldn't mount a film production to the point that he got too old for the role and gave the rights to his son, Michael Douglas, who ended up producing the movie. And uh, knowing this afterwards, you can sort of see how it would work as a play because it's mainly set in this mental hospital with very few, there's like a couple of stuff outside, but it, it lends itself to a theatrical production. But it's remarkable how unstagey it is. And it's a real case of when people say something cinematic, and I'm sort of guilty of this, I think I think of it in a sort of slightly reductive, like landscapes and close-ups and bombastic soundtracks and Mad Max Free Road, that's cinema. Yeah. Um, but it's a real testament to how it's not film theatre. And so much of the storytelling is in the performances and so much of it is in reaction shots. They have these all these ensemble scenes. There's like this scene at the beginning where like, Jack Nicholson doesn't say anything for 15 minutes, but he just he keeps, on, keeps on cutting to him and all these other great supporting players. And there's so much, they're doing all the heavy lifting of the storytelling. And it's kind of like a testament to how good the cast is that they're all unknowns when they made this movie and they're all kind of super famous now. It's like, oh, it's Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd and Brad Dourif. Yeah, but they're yeah. all like 25 in it. And they're very unshowy performances and very well-rounded. And you think, especially when you're playing someone with like mental health issues, it's so easy for that to go wrong. I like Danny DeVito. It could easily be like just a collection of ticks. Like his character Mancini smiles a lot and doesn't understand the rules of poker. But it's such a complete little character throughout the movie. Yeah. And you can like easily one of the joys of rewatching is that you could probably just like follow one of the guys in the background and they're always like doing stuff. Yeah, you've got to be careful about doing those things sensitively. You know, and like making them seem like real characters rather than just like wacky set dressing or something. Yeah. And because the ensemble is so good, it allows Jack Nicholson to do this amazing dynamic performance. And it wouldn't, it's such a sort of balance of tone. It could so easily be over the top. It's a bit like Taxi Driver in that it is the definitive Jack Nicholson performance. And he's a 70s actor like Pacino or De Niro 
who's kind of become such a sort of cultural icon. He's kind of like a collection of mannerisms now. Everyone's got like a Jack Nicholson impression. Yeah, and also no one, I mean, a bit like those guys, they seem to have turned into the impersonations of themselves. Yeah, exactly. No, no one is waiting for the next great Jack Nicholson performance now. But then it's kind of cool to watch this stuff. He's like, oh, you are the greatest actor ever. Yeah. He's like incredible in the movie. And he's kind of balanced out by Louise Fletcher's chilling Nurse Ratchet. And what's so terrifying about it is like she's so convinced she's in the right. She thinks she's a good person. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting depiction of the way in which people who's, who see themselves as trying to keep order or like keeping things like safe and calm, uh, uh, like their actions are indistinguishable from someone who's just shoring up their own power. That, that she comes off like a complete megalomaniac, basically. Yeah. But that you can very clearly see how she isn't thinking of herself as trying to ensure that she remains the sort of queen of the ward, but <laughs> is just trying to, you know, that there's a structure that has to be kept in place and that, you know, you got to make sure people know, know where they stand. Yeah, absolutely. And then as you're saying, like the ending is one of the best endings ever. It's got a great ending. I think it's that sort of thing of like, you get to know the characters so well in the first hour and a half that the last 20 minutes are the succession of huge emotional gut punches. Really yeah. puts you through the ringer. And then ends on this moment, which is so... It would be so shit in any other film, but the film has worked so hard by this point that yeah. it's kind of transcendent. It's incredible. It's incredible cinematic catharsis. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, three stars? Three stars. Out of out of three. Solid. Full, <laughs> 100%. 100% full marks. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush. Speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. Sam, I heard you saw a film as emotionally powerful. Oh man, I know that they form a little family unit in One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> But I don't think that has nearly as much to say about the notion of human bonds. Family. As, uh, as the Fast and Furious franchise, fascinating franchise, delighted to have it back on the podcast. It feels like an old friend because we reviewed Fast and Furious 7 uh, whenever that came out. A couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. And now they've produced Fast and Furious 8, which was released in the US under the title The Fate of the Furious. A little bit of wordplay. But over here, it just came out as Fast and Furious 8, which I found They've very, done that a few times. I found that very disappointing. Well, they had that with um, 7. That had a bunch of different titles. Like in, I think in the US, it was Furious 7, it was called. And over yeah. here, it was just Fast and Furious 7. They yeah. feel like in the US, they're more used to these unconventional name, naming uh, like sequels. And, and over here, they don't... They can't handle it. Someone think, might look... Well, yeah. there hasn't been a Fast and Furious movie in years now. I've seen similar titled films, but I don't know who is this. This is my British guy <laughs> voice. <that>? I live <laughs> in Luton. <laughs> Just waiting for another Fast and Furious I'm, movie. I'm born and raised in Slough. That's me. Uh, what's with I remember you? Fast and Furious and Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> but I ain't been a Fast and Furious movie in about 10 minutes. Yeah, the weird stiff upper lip yokels of the British arts would not be able to handle that. So it's just got a normal name. That was my first disappointment and my only disappointment because otherwise I kind of enjoyed the movie. I thought it was good. Cool. It's hard to know where to set up, you know. Have you been watching all these seven films this franchise? You're ready to hear the beginning of the plot of the next one? Basically, for newcomers to the franchise, I think the whole thing can be summarized as a bunch of drag racing kind of uh, low-level criminals 
have morphed over the course of seven movies into like an international gang of spies and uh, sort of superheroes. Uh, and now it's like the Bond franchise where sure. it started out like some sort of cheap thriller. It's kind of weird. And in this one, they pick up after in the events of the seventh film in which the villain was Jason Statham. And uh, they, they're on this kind of um, trend now where the villain like... Uh, like is like each villain is related to the previous one or something sure and all these characters just stay in the franchise it's incredible Brilliant. They, they don't jettison their characters at all so jason statham is in prison after they defeated him in the seventh movie but like a new villain arises in the form of charlie's <sighs> theron Ooh. and uh, she's a uh, sexy evil hacker um and she somehow convinces dominic toretto the hero of the fast and furious franchise played by vin diesel to turn against his uh, teammates, his gang of international spies. His family. His family. His family. Oh, my God. They love family. That's his family. He loves Nothing family. is more important to him than his family. But he betrays his family. Dear God. He goes rogue. And, you know, then they've got to deal with him as well as Charlie Theron. Uh, and then they need to get Jason Statham to kind of help them out. Here's a quick clip. It is from the beginning of the film, which it starts in Havana. Vin Diesel is on a honeymoon with his beautiful wife, played by Michelle Rodriguez and he finds out that his cousin is going to be gypped out of his ride by some unscrupulous sort of wheeler dealer and vin agrees to race that guy in order to get his cousin's car back and the guy has the fastest car in havana and his cousin has the slowest car in havana opposite ends, opposite ends of the league table here's the clip i, I appreciate what you're trying to do my car is the slowest car on the island was pull the seats the doors the battery if it ain't the motor take it off laughing us nah fed this is cuban nas you guys are crazy what are you doing poor man's turbo pull the vacuum line hold on we'll check the bus you used to play in case of emergencies you know that's way too much boost for that engine it's gonna be fast it's gonna be a bomb only needs to go a mile. Charming stuff. Excellent. Very exciting. Good car action. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm quite fond of the Fast and Furious franchise. It's got the atmosphere of a daytime TV melodrama, basically, but they have, like, the budget of, you know, a massive worldwide blockbuster. It's, like, cost $150 million to make. <laughs> But they feel like when the movie is almost the most comfortable is in scenes of these people hanging out with cheesy music playing and them sort of gazing into each other's eyes and saying how important family is to them. It's a bit like the the atmosphere of Vin Diesel's Instagram, you know? Right, right. It's really right. seeped into the film. It's this kind of brotherly love, very Christian. Yeah. And that kind of sits alongside this Bond film style car chases and explosions. And also the contractual obligation to include bums and bikini babes and stuff sure which they it's getting harder and harder to force that in you know right considering the bulk of the movie involves chasing international terrorists they've got to really struggle to find the sort of party scenes to put the babes in so in this uh, the beginning of this one when they go to havana it's Some warm babes. in havana there's they've got a hot climate you know how in most parts of the world they have car racing festivals with just it looks like spring break or something. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Whenever, wherever the, these people go in the world, something like that is going on. There's like constant cheering crowds. Chicks love like, cars. Yeah, and like chicks, you know, 
in a state of undress you have to be at least this hot to attend this crowd of people watching a drag race basically of course um and you know whatever that's part of it i mean it's kind of it's obviously dumb and obviously like objectifying and sexist and stuff but i feel like no one no one cares that much i don't even know why they bother putting it in like no one's gonna (laughs) see this movie unless there's like one at least one bum in the trailer but there's just something inherently appealingly earnest about it and it's such a good tonic to the po-face fucking perfume advert bond movies any day of the week i'd rather see this film which is is just full of humor both intentional and unintentional there's some genuinely funny jokes in it like that they meant to be funny and there's also a lot of things that i'm not sure they did mean to be funny that are hilarious it's just sort of very comfortable in its own skin you know what i mean it's not yeah it knows what it is it knows what it is and it's not trying to like take on airs and graces that it doesn't you know doesn't deserve it's very sort of obvious trash basically but with this fairly appealing strain of sentimentality and the death of paul walker who is the star of the franchise in the first seven installments has just layered on extra levels right you know and that movie ended with this rather you know kind of sweet really tribute to him where where a computer generated version of him drives off into the sunset and that he comes up a couple times in this film he's not dead in the world but he kind of is like they sort of talk about him like he's just not around anymore right right right. he's sort of retired from there yeah um and those moments i mean they do feel genuine because obviously you know he made all these movies with the same people and yeah so that's kind of sweet in a way they also have they're they're sort of leaning further and further into the broad comedy which i think is only a good thing uh there's a quite a good scene early on in which uh the rock is like the manager of a girl's soccer team and he's like (laughs) makes them do the hacker like the sort of new zealand hacker there's a scene of like all these girls playing football and doing the hacker and he's like cheering them on and stuff and they're obviously so delighted with this joke because it goes on for quite a long time and he is he is generally on very good form throughout and also jason statham is brilliant in it an asset to any film i'm so glad they brought him back he is very funny and they really he's basically playing his character from spy now right brilliant. Like in the seventh movie he was like you know a terrifying threat and like they basically played him straight and now he's just the guy from spy brilliant uh and it is great it's really funny well i would say like you know the movie has three bald muscly men but i much prefer statham and Dwayne the Rock Johnson because they always layer their performances with lots of humor and charisma. I think Vin buys into it a bit too much sometimes. Like yeah. you're saying, that sort of Instagram esque. I mean, that's definitely true. Vin is certainly the least appealing of the three. But he's got the dramatic. He's got to carry the sort of dramatic weight. I of it. see. But I think it's like the fact that he believes in it so much is almost what sells it. <laughs> you know that he's kind of lame and dumb, but he's in like what to me is like a soap opera. To him, is like actual opera. I think that's why it's like it's, yeah. like, it's like real tragedy. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why his other franchises fail. Like, you know what I mean? Like, nobody cares about The Last Witch Hunter because he's, like, playing a similar, like, awesome guy but doesn't have the same kind of cultural baggage as the Fast and Furious franchise. So it feels less earned in those parts. Yeah, well, it, the, what personality he has is on the screen in this movie. <laughs> but, like, he's probably really boring to hang out with. But if you just take those aspects of him that would be really tedious if you were, like, meeting him at a party but blow it up to sort of melodramatic extremes, it becomes fun. Yeah. And I don't know. Everyone is kind of committed to it. And they have a genuine amount of imagination with the stunts as well. Like, the because, like, the progression of the stunts in all these films have to get crazier and crazier in order to generate the correct amount of astonishment from Tyrese Gibson's character. Damn. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> but it means that they... I mean, they're complete... At this point, it's just utter... Not, it's just so stupid. Sure. But it's just fun that 
it, it looks like they, they got a bunch of guys in a room drinking way too much coffee and just spitballing the most random shit for like a couple of weeks and then just picked the craziest ideas and decided to make, make put them in the movie. Awesome. And I mean, I don't know if they're going to be able to maintain the invention for too much longer, but it's enough. in this movie, it's enough. There's nothing that's quite as cool as the as the planes falling out of the sky they had in the seventh movie, but there's still some, you know, fun The submarine, stuff. right? Uh, the submarine is pretty cool, and there's this, like, bonkers sequence in New York with, like, a 1,000 AI-controlled cars going wild. You know, it's just completely <laughs> ridiculous. It does get... I would say it sort of starts to lose steam by the end. The explosions, you start to get a bit, like... Because it's long, this movie. It's not a short movie. And it certainly doesn't end too soon. I think I was, I was definitely ready for the end. I was a bit like, okay, okay. Uh, then in general, you know... You, you won't you will not enrich your life in any way but it made me laugh a lot and you know it's like a popcorn it's a it's a pure popcorn movie where no brain cells is, is in danger of being engaged and it will just make you laugh and you can enjoy the explosions and enjoy the sort of man love my favorite film stars bridget bardo she's the queen and she wants to be in radio so she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end and finally, I didn't really think of it, and finally, but luckily Stephen Lee sent me a tweet he read, which amused him. The tweet was from acclaimed director M. Night Shyamalan, who seems to be back. He's people, writing people, high people like Split. Split, yeah. It was like, a big... Finally, he's made a film that wasn't worse than his previous film. Yeah, so he's back, and he tweeted, writing climax of new film, had to step away. Heart pounding. Too scared and worried for the characters. Writing really is like acting. Oh wow, uh, Danny, you you're a writer. Uh, sure. <laughs> do you do you ever find when you're writing of any kind, not necessarily dramatic, do you ever find that you get too invested in? Yeah, yeah. You just got to stop. You just just step away. I, I pass out. That's what just, I do now. You just pass out. You faint like, just... you, like like you constantly do at all, at all things. Uh, no, I'm not on the same level as Shyamalan, obviously. No, you, no, you're no Shyamalan. Uh, like he probably has to write another draft with a happy ending just so he can write the draft of the film that he'll actually make. Exactly. He's got to type away like, and then uh, a, a delivery of flowers uh, happened. And <sighs> everyone uh, had a hot stone massage. Out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they all died. Oh no! But, <laughs> but they ended up in heaven. <laughs> oh, lovely. I was looking at the replies to this tweet. A lot of people saying, "Yeah, it's a split." Very enthusiastic. He's got a fan base. One guy called Darcy Van Polgist, mm-hmm. which I hope is his real name, said. I'm soaked in sweat after a good day at the desk. <laughs> but what is his job, though? Is he's, he a writer? He's, he's a writer. He... He's a writer director. I went on his bio. Oh, is he? Yeah. Because I thought perhaps he was like um, a, a, a sweat writer, machine a tester. De- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, just there's got to be exhausting things you can do. Have you desk. have you seen Split? I've not seen Split. I haven't seen Split. Haven't I was, seen it. But um, flat out. I think I've guessed the twist already. Let's hear your guess. Just everyone in the film is James McAvoy. Oh, shit. He just kidnapped himself and imagined yeah. four other women, but it was just him That's the whole good, time. That is a good guess, to be honest. I'd be surprised. And then he it. went to his, his therapist and like, always seems a therapist, but the therapist is also just it's him. It's also him. Everyone is him. Yeah. He well, basically so just doesn't leave his room the whole movie. Right, like, at the end, it's just a shot of... It's like sort of Kaiser Soze thing. Yeah, yeah. Except even the policeman is him. Yeah. He gets arrested, but that's him, and he just, like, he hasn't even left his room. Yeah, and then you watch the whole movie again, like fast forward, but it's just the same actions, but he's doing all of it. Oh man, that was so like, good. He's been like, you know, he's got the handcuffs. Oh, it's like Fight Club. 
Yeah. You know, at the end of Fight Club, when yeah, you yeah, yeah, see yeah. him in the security camera fighting himself. Yeah. That would actually be great. Especially if it was like really elaborately choreographed. So he was somehow doing everything. Once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's like, there's obviously scenes where there's loads of people, but it's like, he just does himself. Like he's like, he's like juggling between three people. And then like the security footage shows him doing this incredible bit of like acrobatics. There should be some scene in the movie where he goes to like, um, NAA meeting or he's on like a psych ward with other patients and they're all talking. There's like a whole circle of them, you know, like 15 people talking to each other. And then in the replay version, he's just leaping back and forth between the chairs, getting really out of breath, sweating as much as Shyamalan over his desk. Um, do you want to see it? Is this, is it a Split. film that appeals to you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge McAvoy fan, but it looks like he's going full ham. But you want to see him? Yeah, I want to see. see him go really. You know, it's like it's like Diesel with his uh, incredible the like Christian personality. You want to see the most annoying trait of an actor exploited to the full, and McAvoy is an overactor. Yeah, I mean, Split is just a kind of cool like almost uh like audition piece for any actor you know what i mean i wanted to see split with just like another actor do that just play nine characters yeah just keep... let's let's see it it's like it's like you know a showreel right well, gary Oldman made that film <laughs> yeah that would be cool that would be that would be fucking <laughs> because good. Like... that guy disappears into a role you actually believe it you believe it you when, believe it you, when him, go- you, you wouldn't even realize that like what the concept of the film was because you just wouldn't understand that it was the same guy <laughs> what was split personality what <laughs> one guy there was loads of guys there was loads of guys what are you talking about yeah the twist wouldn't work because the, <laughs> the acting would be too good that the twist simply wouldn't work <laughs> well all right we should get off the flight path before we get run over by an airplane maybe the, oh do you know what would been great if we'd actually planned an M. Night Shyamalan-style twist to end this segment with, twist. Sam, but you've been talking to yourself this whole time. <laughs> Fuck you, suckers. 115 episodes of me talking to myself, doing my Danny impression, which is quite subtle because our voices aren't that different. Yes. That, that was me. I said yes, and it, but like, wait, why would I, as the, my other personality, do a voice? Because you're so distinct. You're so... Uh... You know, you're inhabiting the role so much that you do something which is counterintuitive if you were doing it yourself. That's, it's like a triple bluff. That's a good That's a good explanation, and I'm sticking to it. All right, guys, that's the end of this week's film chat. Join us next week when we will be reviewing what? Just uh, some films, isn't it? Just some films. I don't know what they're going to be, but they're going to be. They're going to have been seen. We're recording this quite early in the week, so it's going to be probably a lot of news. Uh, and I'm sure we'll have seen a whole bunch of movies. It's going to be a corker. I've no doubt about it. Bye. And also Jeremy Corbett, by the way. Yes, big, big time. I, I like the idea of people telling the truth. I like them to get to the bottom of things. Really, in, in our governments, we have a lot of subterfuge. We got people like Jamie Dimon running around, and we got all this, you know, the LIBOR thing, you guys, everything we go through. We got all this stuff. We got Now we got the Panama thing. I mean, what is it? Why doesn't anybody want to pay taxes and just fix the, the, the country, make everybody have a good life? And, well, you know, it's really crazy. So we got to fix it. I, I think it would make a great PM. Oh, yeah, way better than Cameron. And forget about... Listen, look at your history, for crying out loud. You know what I mean? You know, little sketchy uh, guy hanging out with George Bush. What was his name? Okay.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.